Kansas City's talk show for throttle junkies, motorheads, and anyone who loves rocking the driver's seat. From barn fresh to concour ready, Road Muscle Radio parks the latest news and the biggest names in rolling thunder right in your ears. Let's welcome your show hosts, 30-plus year radio veteran, author, playwright, lousy karaoke singer, and lover of fat and freaky American classic cars, Mark Catfish Groves, and freelance automotive journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield. Let's put the pedal to the metal. Road Road Muscle Muscle Radio Radio is on the air. Be sure to check out Road Muscle Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and at RoadMuscleRadio.com for links, our blog, uh, the few events that we can currently currently hunt down. And, uh, you know, I've only got two months. I've got, like, the current month and the next month. I think I'm going to just put all of summer on there so that there's something there because right now it's a it's a little dry little Uh, it's it's a it's a tad thin you can hold it up to a light and watch its heartbeat (laughs) and understandably so we're not we're not griping uh, no 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 no. Uh, in fact uh it looks like we probably got a few more weeks of this stuff and i i think that's the only it's the responsible thing to do yeah yeah i am i am not uh i'm not unbehind it but it's just damn it I, I miss cars and coffee. I do. All right. Anyway, uh, also, you can find our podcast there at RoadMuscleRadio.com. I'm Catfish Groves. I'm Brett Hatfield. And coming up in this episode, we're going to talk a barn find of the ages. And uh, plus, we're going to talk a few classic cars that would be great investments or not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you might have an opinion or two on these. I uh, I look forward to hearing what you're thinking. And and that's so unlike me. Yeah, <laughs> and unlike me. Hey, oh, all right. Uh, uh-huh. Also, uh, in the second segment, we're going to talk to our special guest, Jonathan Ward. He's founder of the Icon Design Shop. Where, oh my God, these vehicles. so excited to have him on. Uh, you've if you've even heard about like a let's say a forty nine Hudson. That's high tech, uh, maybe a, a late forties, early fifties Merc. That's electric. Uh, this is the genius that is making these amazing high patina, high. Uh, oh my god, uh, engineering everything. Oh my god, yes. Uh, this is the dude, and you're going to want to stick around for that. It's amaze balls. So anyway, let's uh, let's get down to it. There's some cool things in the news. It's on YouTube, and it's a barn find, but really big everybody likes a barn find everybody likes finding a secret tucked away someplace absolutely nobody would believe a 300 car barn find (laughs) oh my god unless you saw it in the flesh and there's one on youtube right now larry casilla of ammo nyc uh is filming a barn find from a collector who's been collecting from the 70s until recently and the guy has decided it's time to downsize and they're doing a tour through these several darkened buildings full of all these cars that are stacked two and three high on uh on uh, lifts and stackers and the guy's got 
a little bit of everything, and most all of it is cool. Now, one of the things also I think that makes this barn, quote-unquote barn find very special, you know, we talk about barn finds and you're thinking, okay, there's going to be a lot of chicken crap and rust and this and that, or some of the uh, European barn finds that we've seen in the past, what, five years, where it's these just mucked up, dust-covered, flattened, they're sitting on their chassis. You know, you're going to spend a lot of time remediating the metal on them. Sure. This is not these, that. These some they're dusty. Some oh, sure. of them might have a few a low tire or two on them. But other than that, they're pretty remarkable and a lot of them are under plastic covers. Uh, a lot so, of them are low mileage. It's just oh my low god. Low mile and collectible and the guy had a double fistful of mid-year Corvettes, so of course that hooked me uh. immediately. Then he's got a uh, Herstold's pace car sitting next to a Matra Jet uh, uh, 5, uh, a Bimoto <laughs> with only a few miles on it, 55 Chevy Resto mod, one of the three cars from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, my God. Exima show cars, race cars, uh, a, 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 sh- a shortened Cadillac Seville, a Packer <laughs> flower car, uh, not a funeral, not a hearse, a flower car, but just as long. Uh, a high wing Plymouth Superbird, oh a million dollar Bitsarini 538, uh, the Rambo Lambo, uh, the LM002 <laughs> that was owned by Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Uh, nice. Uh, also, multiple Lamborghini Countaches. Oh, my lots God. Of, lots of Corvettes, an ultra low mile Pinto. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Okay, stop. Stop the show. <laughs> you got all these, you got Lamborghinis, you got Corvettes, and this guy snuck in a Pinto? Well, we- I'm telling you, the guy's got a little bit of everything in this collection. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, That's it awesome. Just, uh, uh, lots of wild, lots of weird, uh, a lot of unique stuff. And it's well worth the 30 minutes to watch the full video on YouTube. You can find the link on RoadMuscleRadio.com. And that video, isn't that just one building? 30 minutes. Yeah, they say one it's building. just one building. They say it's just one building. They say there are... Uh, multiple oh. buildings to this collection, and there's a, a subsequent video after it of Larry Castilla and his partner cleaning that mit- that million dollar Bitsarini. Oh and oh my good lord, is it worth your time? <laughs> it makes my teeth sweat just thinking about it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I want to go total Indiana Jones on them right now. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sitting in my own sauce. <laughs> Well, also uh, found in the news, uh, that one came from uh, thedrive.com and also barnfinds.com has a, well, just look around, man. It's it's on a lot of places. From uh, thethings.com, there is an article that I think is right up your alley, Brett. And uh, it's about classic, it's American cars, classic American cars collectors need to buy ASAP. Stuff that uh, they feel is going to really kind of climb. You, you know, with Sports Car Collectors Magazine and American Car Collectors Magazine, uh, you've been to all of these places. You kind of, you know your shizzle. So uh, uh, take a peek I, at I these and tell so. me the ones that you think are spot on and the ones you think are spot off. Okay, well, I'll, I'll run through these real quickly. Uh, they said 55 Chevy Bel Air. Wrong. Uh, really? Bel Airs, all, all try five Chevys, 55, 56, 57 are going down in value as uh, baby boomers are liquidating their collections. So it's actually so, supply the, is uh, is the thing that's driving down the value? Yeah. And the other thing is with those, if you wanted to buy one, it's a great time to buy one cheap. 
but don't buy it with the idea that it's going to go back up in value. Uh, 64 GTO, uh, uh, maybe, but I don't see it being a rocket the other direction. But their 13th car, the 92 Dodge Viper, absolutely. First-gen Vipers, particularly the 92 and 93s, they didn't have AC, uh, didn't have a real top on them. They had side curtains for windows. Those are modern-day Cobras. They didn't have ABS. They didn't have traction control. And they are scary as can be to drive. I speak from experience. Um, <laughs> you know, my wife, uh, uh, we were living down in Texas at the time in Dallas, and she worked for a guy that uh, bought one of those. He was kind of one of these young CEO entrepreneur guys and just had come into a, a truckload of money. And he bought one and had it, I think, for a week before he flipped it. And you know that top oh, thing wow. you were talking about? Yeah, he had to have uh-huh. some hair replacement because <laughs> that was his head dragging on the pavement. Well, <laughs> whoopsies. Yeah, and and the windshield, you know, windshields aren't. Yeah, they're not they meant to hold up the whole lot car. Of tinsel strength. No, they don't. They don't. Poor guy. I, I felt kind of uh, sad for him and his kajillion dollars. Um, so ninety-two Dutch T-Birds. Uh, if you want to get one inexpensively, sure, but they're not going back up. You know, uh, sixty-six Olds Toronado. Cool car to have, not terribly expensive. It's a cool collector car to lay your hands on, uh, a very unique shape, and it was also you know built alongside the uh, Cadillac Eldorados. And very, the Tornado, one car. of the first uh, front-wheel drives for the, the electric it is, cars? It okay. is. You get that flat floor with them, too. Oh, nice. Very cool car. Um, 61 Lincoln Continental. Cool car, not going up in value. If you buy one, you better be a hell of a mechanic. Those things are exceptionally complicated. And I've heard that with all the vacuum cans that vacuum this, everything was ran yeah. run by suckage, and it's just a yes. pain in the ass to ever figure out. If you want to buy one of those, I strongly suggest you watch the piece on Jay Leno's Garage yes. about Lincoln Continentals before you buy one, and uh, <laughs> that might change your mind. 1987 Buick Grand National. I agree with this. I absolutely agree with this. The GNs are seeing a a real turn. They're starting to head upward, especially low mile examples. It's tough to find these that haven't been hammered and run hard. But if you find a low mile one in good shape, that's good. If you can find a GNX, of which there were only a handful made, lay your hands on one of those. They're going back up. Uh, Number eight, 1982 Jeep Scrambler. Absolutely. Lay your hands on those. A ton of fun, and uh, you can still get these for for reasonable money, but they are going the other way. 64 Ford Mustang, I don't know that I agree with that so much. Uh, You know, 64 and 65 are almost identical, and they made a ton of them. Yeah. Uh, 1970 Plymouth Barracuda, tail end of the uh, muscle car era, the last year for full horsepower before uh, emissions regulations came in and ruined all the fun. So, yeah, absolutely. If you can lay your hands on a 70 uh, Barracuda, do so. 1990 Chevy 454 SS. It was a pickup, a short bed, a two-wheel drive, regular cab with a 454 in it. You got a little light truck with a big, great, uh, great big motor in it. Yeah, why not? (laughs) And uh, they didn't make a whole lot of them. 1984 Jeep Cherokee. Yeah, these are in high demand. Uh, Cherokees have a really loyal and kind of rabid following. And finding these in good condition that haven't been modified is difficult. So if you can locate one, grab it. 78 Dodge Little Red Express truck. All of us who are over about 40 years old remember what these were. When's the last time you saw one? 
Not yeah. never. They're not around anymore. They're difficult to find. And in 78, the Little Red Express truck was faster than the Corvette, believe it or not. What? Uh, 1953. Yeah, it was. It absolutely <laughs> was. 1953 Chevrolet Corvette. They only made 300 of them. It had a crappy stove bolt six backed by a, uh, a power glide transmission. They renamed it the Blue Flame 6 when they put it in the Corvette. Don't be fooled, folks. It's a crappy car. I had a buddy who um, could do Blue Flames around a campfire, but it <laughs> didn't yeah, need well, a Corvette, it, just it, a lighter. It probably produced about the same power. <laughs> um, these cars, GM didn't know how to work with fiberglass yet. And uh. they were trying to do this. It wasn't uncommon for the cars to come out with two different length doors on them. All the fiberglass had to be refinished when they were getting to the dealerships. The build quality was crummy. Now, most of that has been addressed because they are an iconic car and they are very collectible. But they had huge build quality problems when they first came out. If you like that body style, get a 55 that's got the small block 265 in it. And uh, number one on the list. 1965 Buick Riviera GS, I can't argue with. It's got iconic styling. It's a neat car. It's, it's a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, and I think you can still find these for pretty good money. So uh, that's my take on it. I may be wrong. What do I know? Hi, <laughs> Brett Hatfield. Good night. Uh, well, cool. Thank you. And I'm so glad you're, uh, you know, that you do what you do because getting that kind of insight is is really useful. We'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully everything. Yeah, goes my up mom's up. still disappointed I didn't become a doctor. <laughs> Dude, my mom wanted me to be a lawyer so bad, and I worked in radio. <laughs> uh, yeah, the fact well, that she still hugs me. Uh, if only we could have put all that brain power to better use. Yeah, amen. <laughs> well, you can find links to these stories and more in our blog at RoadMuscleRadio.com. Now, coming up in our second segment. Jonathan Ward of Icon joins us to talk about taking classics, loving them for what they are at that moment, but then building everything underneath that look to what they should be for another 40 years. Respect with horsepower. Stick around. More Road Muscle Radio is on the way. We're back with Road Muscle Radio. You can find us on the web at roadmuscleradio.com, on Twitter at Road Muscle Radio, and on Facebook at, guess what, Road Muscle Radio. Road Muscle Radio. Thank you. If you know somebody we should talk to, send us an email at driver at roadmuscleradio.com. We'll see about having them in for an interview. Now, as you peruse the webs, and especially since you have time to peruse the webs, if you do, uh, you got to visit this website. It's called Icon 4x4. That's Icon4x4.com. Now, it says 4x4 in the title, but sure, they have 4x4s. They have some of the coolest-ass 4x4s you'll ever see. But there is so much more. Uh, I got drawn to this when I watched a video about an electric 49 Merc. Electric. A 1949 Mercury. All Oh, my God. God, that thing was amazing. And it's part of a line. I know, right? God, I love my sleds. The uh, the line is called Derelict, and the idea is 100% awesome. Now, I'm going to read this little thing from the website. According to the website, the purpose of the Icon Derelict projects is simple, or it appears as such. Take timeless classic vehicles from any maker from almost any era, then reimagine them for modern use. Stay faithful to the original aesthetical design or aesthetic design, and in some cases, ask what was the purest intended form of the design in the eyes of the original designer. 
God, I love that. Before the business priorities made sacrifices in design and detail, then rewrite history. This vehicle is just amazing. The whole idea behind this is wonderful. So we leave, they, they leave the, they call it romantic and irreplaceable wabi-sabi finish on the exterior that only decades can create with honesty. And then they tailor the mechanical experience to our client's personality and use. It's amazing. So the founder and visionary behind TLC and Icon is Jonathan Ward. And Jonathan, welcome to Road Muscle Radio. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. And thank you for writing most of my intro on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you busted me, too, because I'm kind of, uh, I have to wear a lot of hats in the juggling circus that I run. So I wrote all that text on the site, but it was actually quite honestly developed because as I was formulating this crazy idea I had percolating in my head that became icon. Um, that's what I wrote many, many, many years ago when I was trying to kind of frame it and figure it out myself. Well, you know, when you're working on your, basically your, your business plan, you have to have that basic idea. You got to have that thing that you cling to so that, uh, like part of it where it talks about you found that you, you kind of looked at the intended purpose of the designers rather than after business got involved in it. And so many things get turned into like these egg shaped domes instead of really cool cars because then finance and business come in. But if you, if you have that core philosophy and belief, that's a life raft. And it's so awesome what you were doing with this. Now you started TLC in 1996, but how old were you when you really started, you know, messing with cars? What, how old were you when you were like, Oh God, I really love these things. Well, I always dug cars ever since I was a little kid. I remember five, six, seven, being on road trips in a country squire sequestered to the third row facing backwards in the <laughs> East Coast. I was born in Maryland. And uh, I used to remember, you know, those long lines of colorful hot rods going off to the weekend show or what have you when our parents were taking us wherever we were going. And I always found them quite alluring. And then my mom's father also ran... Uh, from the 30s until the 70s, he had a small town uh, repair garage and dealership in a town called uh, Quinby in the eastern shore in the Chesapeake Bay area. And so it was in my blood from him. And then I lived in New York City until I was 15. And then I moved to California. And not only did I see the massive car culture occurring in California in the 80s, I'm 50 now. And also, though, my friend told me you can get a driver's license when you're 15 and a half. So I said, well, I'm never leaving this place. This is just made for me. And sure enough, I, I bought my first uh, classic car, in fact, before I had that license and immediately started uh, tinkering and messing with it. But the corruption that gave birth to Icon was kind of decades in the making. In the beginning, I was kind of a snobby, picky, stock resto purist down to recreating the imperfections in the original car, you know, where there'd be a wisp of primer or a chalk line, etc. Wow. But I really found more and more like when I did that very quickly, I would become sort of disenchanted with the whole vehicle because like, ah, it's just gorgeous. I love it. It came out so good, but man, it just drives like crap or <laughs> you know why would i recreate wrong. that mistake when i know better or when there's 
better systems when you're hand restoring a car versus production line building a car, which then led to what I call the perversions of modernity where, you know, I'd hop in my new car and I get excited about whatever little gizmo or doodad of functionality that the car maker had integrated or the performance and reliability of it. And I find I wasn't driving my classics as much. And then that again, led to further uh, perversion where I started thinking, well, why can't you have the best of both worlds? Why can't you take all of your favorite things about the modern cars and marry them to arguably the design continuity that for the most part just doesn't exist in transportation anymore because nowadays designs, in my opinion, well, no, I'll, I'll back that up a little firmer. In my experience, uh, it's just almost an afterthought uh, bet- between the interests of shareholders and Wall Street at large compounded with platform sharing and the pencil pushers are just way too powerful. So even the design team, like the guy who builds armrests never met the guy who designed yeah. the sun visor or the mirror or the gauges or on and on and on. It's just multinational and by committee versus in the old days, they had the balls to let one man and occasionally one woman, you know, sort of set what the perspective for a given vehicle was going to be. So it exuded invariably a personality. Now, whether you liked it or not, that was known as consumer choice. And you gravitated towards the Soto versus the Chevy versus right. the Caddy or the Mercedes or whatever, because it spoke to you on a personal level. Nowadays, I think they're afraid to do that. And it's more about trying to come up with one slopey, faceted, oversized grill, generic box that supposedly is going to please everyone, but end up not in the heart of anyone. And they wonder why there's no brand loyalty. We, uh, we, on the, our other show, we do a driven radio show along with a guy named, uh, uh, Corey. And, uh, it's a show that's a little bit more about performance vehicles, but who, the guest we had on, uh, Harley Earl. Uh, Richard Earl. Richard Earl. Uh, is Harley Earl's grandson. Yeah. Yeah. Richard on Harley. That's Harley's grandson, I think. Or yeah. Son. And yeah, he's, yeah. he's just as passionate about design versus the generic, you know, uh, lumpy biscuit pablum that's coming out with four wheels and how, uh, his grandfather used to do these amazing things. So yeah, they, these vehicles of old and Brett and I have talked about this several times, just about the crazy, they crazy by now, but back then, my God, the just trendy, whatever your personality is, it's there somewhere in metal. When you created TLC, what was it about Land Cruisers that that drew you so hot into them and started kind of rebuilding and redoing those? Basically two things. One was a, a deep respect for the quality and the thoroughness of the design and engineering in them is just amazing. Um, and that experience and appreciation was gained after uh, just a massive gift for travel experience. And I would find in very remote lands often when your vehicle is a difference between living or dying in many cases, the land cruisers proved their mettle. So then I find myself returning to Southern Cal, wanting something for 
you know, camping, swap meeting, surfing, dogs, kids, weekends, fun, and always remembering my love for the FJ40, combined with, at that time, well, they had like a cult following, but no one was really restoring kind of arguably four-wheel drive anything with the same level of quality that they would a traditional two-wheel drive classic. And that always seemed really weird to me. You know, they'd, whatever, they'd put 37s on something, throw a big motor in it, cheap paint job and party on. But they weren't really applying traditional art of restoration to four buys. And around that time, I was taking a, a business class at USC, and I got into a debate with my professor and another student that eventually led into a bet where uh, to prove basically my idea was supply and demand is, is, is gone. That's an old model in that this is like literally right at the birth of the internet. When I have this harebrained idea, you know, there's so many ways of, of reaching customers and consumers that you can change the narrative. And if you can basically at that point, you couldn't find really good ones. So if someone was crazy enough to start restoring them, the way people had been doing two-wheel drive classics for decades, there would be a lot of people that would dig them. So I said, you can control supply and demand, turn it around. If you can control the supply, reposition, whatever that good is, you can create the demand. So it was a $1,000 bet. And if I recall correctly, I was given two quarters to drive a trackable market up 30 points. And at the time, I had a little bit of spare cash. I had spare time. And... I would go on road trips in the Southwest and the Northwest and buy every FJ40 Land Cruiser worth a damn, bring them back to LA, clean them up, not restore them really, just try and find the best original examples I could find, service them thoroughly, present them really well and reintroduce them to the market. And I was blown away how many people dug them and wanted them. And I went back to collect my thousand bucks and they said, Oh, what are you talking about? It was a joke. Um, <laughs> it is now. So Joke's happened. on you. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Cause it, at, right around the same time, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife and who's run both of those companies with me since inception, we were uh, in South Africa on vacation and both a bit disenchanted with our chosen career path. And we decided, you know what? We're, don't have debt. We don't have kids. We're young. If we're ever going to reinvent ourselves, no time better than now. So why don't we take my hobby and let's turn it into a business. And then we're more, at least feel like we're more in control of our own futures and do something that we're really passionate about. And we came back and we started TLC. Nice. And it's just been a magic carpet right ever since. Online at uh, icon4x4.com, you can click through all these things, and you have pictures of cars that are kind of like maids-in-waiting that line up the outside of a building and this and that. Can you tell us a little bit, are these available projects? Are these things you're going to work on or that somebody could buy from you and take home? Or what's the deal on this this, uh, parking lot of possibilities? So I have a a network of hunters that help me find – 
cars when I'm personally looking for, or like our Broncos or FJs that are Thriftmaster pickups that we repeatedly do, I'm constantly looking for, or when a client commissions a build, I'll do a subject line, simply APB, and I'll send it to my guys and we'll start digging up the car. Now, the problem with that is it's, it's all nice and harmless when I'm blowing the client's money. And we find the right car and everything's good and they get their finder's fee and everyone's happy. However, over the years, it has turned into them getting a pretty deep understanding of what floats my boat. And they get me in all sorts of trouble. My employees do this to me as well. (laughs) Just sending me neat shit they find on the internet or in the local thrifty nickel or whatever. Let's face it, (laughs) these days pretty much it's all on the internet. And... Occasionally, I, I'm just a romantic fool for them. And I, oh, God, that's so cool. And I'll buy it. Mm-hmm. And what will generally happen is I'll put it up on that section of available projects on the site, hoping to find someone who also loves it, who can fund me to build the dream. Who will now, keep you from your Sometimes <laughs> they've been cars that I'm like, I'm going to put that up there. And if nobody goes for it in six months, to hell with them, I'm going to build it myself. There's been other times where I put it up, and if it doesn't sell after a period of time, then I'll use my generic Gmail account, and I'll just put the bugger up on Craigslist and let her rip uh-huh. and just let it go bye-bye. I've had, I guess it's only happened, I knew a guy topically through a car club uh, who's a bit of a purist, and I had a 34 Airflow Coupe. Okay. Very cool car, like phenomenally funky, odd. I don't know if, if, if you can even in once, but reportedly the first car ever designed in a wind tunnel that was unofficially allowed access to by the lead designer um, friend in the military. (laughs) Um, So anyway, super cool, super complete car. And I was going to build it and keep it and blah, blah, blah. And my friend just implored me. He's like, you can't, there's only like 20 of those, blah, blah, blah. You're missing part one, part two, and part three. He goes, I have part one, I have part two. And my best by the way, in Kansas, coincidentally, has part three. So please sell me that car. So I said, okay, I'll let him have it. Then recently, I purchased another super freak orphan that uh, before this COVID shit show, I was planning on fast-tracking and building for myself. Um, And it's it's one for stumping the chumps. I'm a big (laughs) Gordon Burig fan. So Cord Alban Duesenberg, obviously. Um, but then the Cord, after they went bankrupt, they sold the tooling for the Cord, I think it's what, the 210 or Beverly, whatever, the, the sedan, to another car company. And they apparently, as the story goes, lied and said it's a one-piece stamping. Oh, it's going to be super easy. You're going to have a blast. You'll have no problem with it. And they sold all the tooling. And then that company went bankrupt. And then that company sold to yet a third company. So the, the car I bought is a 1941 Graham Hollywood. 
Whoa. So it's basically a cord with a redesigned front clip minus the odd front-wheel drive situation, but with all the beauty and grace and suicide doors and super kick-ass dash. And one of my employees got me in trouble with that when he found it on Facebook Marketplace a couple months ago and messaged <laughs> me. And 20 minutes later, I was on the road to go get it. And uh, I may have to delay the build. I may not. Um, thus far, oddly enough, for businesses other than having reduced staff coming to work. Uh, our <laughs> clients have not been freaking out. Now, arguably, yeah. it seems like our the would-be clients are freaking out because they're home and bored with, God bless them, time on their hands and money in their pocket, and they're calling and ordering all sorts of crazy stuff. Oh, God bless them. Uh, so, <laughs> right? So, yeah, hopefully they get uh, stay-at-home orders a little while longer, and they keep coming up with crazy and crazier ideas because – We've had some super cool projects uh, get kicked off in the last couple of weeks, which has um, actually been really good for, as a shop, as a culture, really good for us collectively. We're talking with Jonathan Ward, the fuel and fire behind Icon. Now, if you Google him, you better have some time on your hands. He's been on CNET, Road and Track, Forbes, Motor Trend, Wall Street Journal, Jalopnik, Joe Rogan, yada, yada, yada. Premier intellect on custom car building, king of the FUV the fun utility vehicle, which I thought was hilarious, by the way, because I thought it was an FU vehicle until I looked up what that meant. Uh, you can. Find- I don't even where 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 did you see that? I, I don't think I remember that one. Oh, dude, that was in one of the uh, very lengthy articles about you, and they talked about how you make FUVs, fun utility vehicles. And there was one that I'll mentioned- take that. Yeah, done. I do want to mention that you're also a retired actor. You were the voice of Zach in the cartoon Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. You were in Steel Magnolias. No kidding. <laughs> I was basically an overpaid extra, but I was there for the entire shoot. I played Sally Field's son, who was the writer of it. And um, it was a fun experience. I got overpaid because every week they would renew the contract. The director oh, nice. was a, weird, let's just say a character. And he said, no, no, I want like even Sam Shepard he was doing this with. Oh, had a wow. bit part as well. And he's like, but it's a small town. So when we're on main street in the town or somewhere you would see these people around the town. So I, I want everyone here. So every week, everyone's <laughs> agent would conspire and bend the production company a little harder and a little harder and a little harder. And I think I worked a total of maybe 10 days in 12 weeks. So I was for DM <laughs> burning a hole in my pocket. I was making good money. I was in a small town in Natchitoches, Louisiana. And one of the, I always hung out, always uh, appreciated Teamsters and they're always car guys. So one thing led to another and Teamsters brother wanted to get a new bass boat and he had his dad's old hot rod. And if he could only sell that hot rod, he could get his bass boat. So I went over to check it out, bought it, found a guy in town who had just months prior gone out of business didn't have enough business, but had a little repair garage and body shop. <laughs> and uh, I basically said, well, I'll pay your rent and I'll pay you. What if uh, we just kind of leave the clothes sign up coming through the back and let's build a street rod. So I built a 33 <laughs> five window off steel Ford. 
over the course of that production. Oh my God! I didn't <laughs> steal magnolia. Yeah, it was super and fun. Steel rose. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, did you do the same thing while you were uh, playing Michael Cruz, the older brother in Mac and Me? <laughs> oh God! I need. I need to find that one. I wish Rotten Tomatoes didn't exist. Oh, IMDb, um, you need to just burn them down. Um, it had a full I think list. On, yeah, during that film, I was mostly so embarrassed. I just hid <laughs> under a sheet unless the camera was rolling. But it, it did shoot a lot out in uh, the high desert. So uh, if I recall correctly, I bought at least two, if not three cars oh my uh, God, that's awesome. while I was on that shoot. <laughs> well, you know what? I have watched that movie Hammered, and it's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, I hear it's great if you're really hammered. Otherwise, it's just downright painful. And you know, it's a lot more movies than I've ever been in, so good on you. All right, uh, back to the electric. Yeah, and, I, and I don't need to bash that experience. Like, I had an incredible... It's literally a different life for me, and in, in the way my head sees it, that's like like another life cycle but it was an incredible incredible experience uh, i was never good at being a kid and as a kid with working with adults if if i applied myself and was committed and engaged and professional i was given due respect i found community i found work ethic i learned how to read a room and how to represent my interests and self and 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 it was lovely it was it was it was great. It just got to a point that, uh, for various reasons, I was over it. Yeah, it was but I, I think the larger but question it's funny, is how do you transition day, like twice a week? We, uh, yeah, let's say it's a fair estimate. Twice a week, we get reality show or network producers. Oh my God, you want to be on TV? We're going to do a reality show about your shop and blah blah. blah and they all blown away that I'm like, nope, <laughs> zero interest. And they're like, well, but why? You'd be on TV. I'm like, just Google my name or like go on Rotten Tomatoes or something and maybe they'll fill in the blanks for you. And it ruins shop cultures. It's happened think- again and again and again and again and again. And I, I just, I'm happy to do my little YouTube channel. I love doing media and telling my story, but I will not screw my shop culture nor productivity by engaging in this show. Oh, yeah, good. Well, I think the larger question is, how do you go from being in Mac and me to so being the automotive this. editor for Is your co-host always a completely silent? Oh, actually, co-host? we're okay, I'm glad you mentioned that, because right now uh, I've had these little warnings come up on my Zoom, and he's actually been talking every once in a while, but I'm not... Uh, <laughs> He's wondering why we're completely ignoring, <laughs> ignoring him. Ignoring him. Every question just yeah, right. some bitch. It's not what you said sucked, <laughs> Mr. Co-host. You, you seem like the mute co-host, see, uh, which is a kind of interesting concept, I suppose. Uh, let, no, I, let's see if you hear him now. I, can you hear me now, Jonathan? You're not catching not anything no. there? No. No. Can Phony. you hear Brad? If he says something of actual interest, maybe yeah, you can I relay can it on to me. Yeah, maybe I, 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 I repeat it. I and love sports car. I, they've got such, I love their sense of humor, like their auction results and all of that. Does he write that stuff? Yeah, he does a lot of that. That's uh, yeah, the, uh, the write-ups on the vehicles, etc. Uh, yeah, yeah, and they're not afraid to piss anyone off. They just tell it like it is. <laughs> well, killer. You it's have like me him. walking around at a Mecham auction. <laughs> <laughs> You go either way, so to speak, with uh, petrol or electric. Now, what makes you decide? Diesel as well. 
Uh, do, I'm, I'm oh, try. How do you choose whether electric or or you know petrol goes into a vehicle? What's what's your criteria for that? Well, something people often overlook. Um, granted, my business is definitely born on, for better or worse, my opinion, my perspective, and I'll still, actually, less than still more than, um, I'll pick projects based on stuff that I'm really engaged and interested in creating. And I'll pass on something that's sort of been done too many times or just not exciting for a variety of reasons, but I do have clients. So at the end of the day, it's really the client who's going to make that call. Right. So, you know, early on, it's part of the conversation as far as, okay, in a perfect world, perfect client, what are you into? What do you dig? What's important to you? From a consumer level to ethical and environmental level, what's your house like? Are you, is it a modern, stoic, you know, very modern and clean and linear? Or is it vintage? Is it repurposed vintage? Like, are you into antiques? Are you a watch guy? You know, what do you like? Where are you from? So there's a variety of things that we go through to really drill down to identify what drives that client. Because I want the, the especially with the one-offs, which we are, as you've mentioned, the derelicts and then the reformers, which are the sort of the concourse perfectly restored, hiding all of the modifications versions of the derelicts, because not everyone can get their head around the patina and that's cool. Um, but I want them to be, high functioning sculptures that speak to the client, you know, that, that are an extension right. of their personality as well. So electric, I've been very interested in personally for years and have been very interested in the history of them. Um, ever since my friend Chris um, did that great sort of groundbreaking film many years ago, uh, who killed the electric car, which if no one's seen, they need to go see it. Super cool. How about um, the GM EV1? And I've been kind of quietly lurking, watching, test driving, listening to, seeing what the market's doing, where it's going, watching the rise of Tesla, realizing that Tesla at a point sort of proved the viability of it in a, in a sort of mass consumer context. So right. all of these were drivers behind it. I do have certain conflicts that I'm still struggling with when it comes to electric that I don't know if I'm ever going to resolve. So they're really a part of the conversation with the client just to the extent of me voicing that perspective and make sure they're realizing those considerations before making the decision, which we can drill down into more. But I just think it's, I've never had much maybe due respect for traditional approaches and that, you know, even just the concept of icon, when I started it, no one was doing anything like that. You know, you were doing street rod, hot rod, pro touring, pro street, concourse stock, like everyone fits into these sort of defined ruts uh, of tradition. And in, in all regards of my life, I've never really given a shit about any of that. So icon itself was 
what if, you know, we revisit classic transportation in a modern context and we kind of mash up the best of both worlds. So if I'm going to be true to that, then it would be completely negligent not to consider any alternative powertrains that are proven. I don't want to be the first mouse to get the cheese. He generally gets the <laughs> mouse trap. I like being the second or the third mouse. Um, I've, I've definitely pioneered some things, especially in, re- in, in reference specifically to the electric mercury derelict that hadn't been done before. But based on a deep understanding and studying of what was status quo in the market and what, for no reason, it's not like I think I'm smarter or better, I certainly am not, but from my perspective, what's missing? Like, well, why aren't companies doing this? Or why hasn't someone thought about, like, transmissions? They're stupid in an electric car. So well, why the hell does everyone keep doing it? And then really drilling down to gain an understanding as to why, and then reckoning my own position in regards to that reason and go, well, that reason doesn't mean shit to me. So screw the tranny. Or, you know, why aren't they doing battery management thermal systems? Why aren't they doing controller and motor thermal management systems? Okay, well, the reason is is because it's a shit show of complexity and a lot of work and a lot of engineering. Well, okay. So then flash forward to the Merck, I had already been thinking through these different ideas and if and when I did it, how I would do it. And we already had two electric builds under our belt that were done basically in partnership with the electric uh, friends of mine in uh, San Diego that now they've branched off into Porsches, originally doing just VW bugs and beetles. They're doing VW buses. So like we partnered with them because they had a formula that was known and proven and working. And then of course I at least corrupted it by I want more range and I want more performance within the confines of what you already know works. Can we push that envelope a little bit if we throw a little bit more money at it? So when the Merck came up and the client was aware of those builds, he said, you know, I just read, I think it was the UN, somebody of note, um, global report on global warming. And he said, you know, I'm really having a hard time with this. And you know, I love my Tesla. And I was wondering, you know, <laughs> he had already greenlit the coal burner. It was already in the engineering. Like we were pretty soon going to start the physical build. I said, would you consider electric? Have you ever thought about doing more electric builds? And I said, well, you know, funny you should ask because I have. But if I'm going to do it, if I'm sorry, when I say I, I, I should say we because oh, yeah. Icon is not me. It's a team of 50 passionate people with varying <laughs> that elevate my stupid ideas into reality. So really it's but, us con. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. I'm feeling totally. you. I'm feeling you here. <laughs> um, I, I said, yeah, I'd love to, but here's the drill. If we're going to do it, I wanted to have all these advanced features and safety issues addressed that I don't see anyone addressing, and I think they're critical. Um, and to do so, I can't tell you how long it's going to take or how much it's going to cost you. And if I didn't know you, I wouldn't even propose it. But we had already done several projects with this fine gentleman who's one of my all-time favorite clients. He's just lovely. 
And I said, basically, you're going to be a guinea pig. But if you're cool with it, I'm cool with it. Let's party on. Let's get it done. And he was the absolute ideal client nice. for such a scenario. Because, you know, the rapid evolution of EV technology is such that shit's changing so quickly, I can barely get it done before there's multiple generations of evolved versions of a given component that we've already integrated that has significant improvements in capability. And I feel remiss not to address it. And he was the kind of client where, like, I called him, like, uh, listen, uh, Reinhardt <laughs> just came out with a new controller, yeah. and now they're doing, you know, this and fitting that'll give us greater flow rates. And now they're doing can module external signal input. So then we can do this and then we can do that. And, but we already own this one and we can't return it. Uh, and the new one's not cheap. Uh, it yeah. does all this cool shit. And he's like, go for it. Go oh for my it. God. We go love him. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I mean, my favorite, and, and I'm, I'm quite blessed to often have clients who say, look, you know, here's the general premise. Here's the idea. Here's what I dig. Here's what I value. Here's all the answers to all my stupid, overly personal questions about what your house look like. What do you dig? Or what are you into? Mm-hmm. Where are you? All that stuff. Who then go, you know what? The reason I'm able to call you in commission such lunacy is because I'm really good at what I do and I make good money doing it. Yeah. And I'd be a fool if I go to the doctor to tell the doctor what to do. So I'm going to take that perspective and just tell you, build it like you're going to keep it. Yeah. Go for it. Build like you keep and it. And that's an absolute like dream for a builder. Absolute dream. What do you think, by the way, uh, speaking of the advancements, I just read about uh, one of these 22-pound these uh, electric motors that are putting out 300 horsepower, and then you can basically daisy-chain them and get, you know, for uh, 88, well, 20, 88 pounds, you can get 1,200 horsepower. Uh, what, are you, have you heard about those? I, it, it just, I was going to say, you have stumped the chump, and you need to send me that link. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> um, but okay. That's quite enticing. Uh, I think I've even got it on our Facebook page because I'm just like, what the hell? And uh, and we've been doing the daisy chain concept, like the the AMR, the American Racing Motor um, electric motors that we used in that Merc. We used two motors back to back to a monster donkey dick of a drive shaft to a Dana 60 (laughs) nodular third member. Uh Um, So we're transmissionless dual motors. And the motors are mounted where the transmission would have been. So the weight distribution and everything's just kick ass. But um, I haven't seen that. It's very interesting. I also find the toroidal uh, motors uh, very interesting. And there's a guy, Angel Labs, up in Lodi, California, who's done some pretty phenomenal modern takes on the tradition, traditional toroidal that I find intriguing. Same with like microcapacitors and oh. there's some pretty interesting stuff out there. But from what I understand, the microcapacitors actually burn super dirty. So really? we haven't gone there. Well, uh, I'm just going to ask you one more question. We've already taken you way past the time we had promised you we would. Plus, uh, Brett, we're having a little trouble getting his audio through to you here in the uh, studios. So uh, I think he's going to choke me to death when we get off this call because he's like, oh, my God, there's all these questions. Uh, uh, one last one here. Uh, also on your website, 
Uh, you've got some concepts that you said you're thinking about, and I'm, I've been looking at these and I'm like, oh my God, these are beautiful. Like, uh, the Helios with that, uh, kind of Harley Earl Finn thing you got going on the backside. There's the Bentley Salt Flat, the, the, what, the Apollo Spada. Uh, tell me about the Helios. What's going on with that design? Oh boy, the Helios is, um, just one of those stupid ideas that keeps me up at night that I'm just totally enamored by. It started with my love for Streamline Modern and the deco era of design at large. Then from there, it grew into more specifically my appreciation for some very specific cars of that era, Mm -hmm. ranging from the Empiricos Bentley through to uh, Talbot Lagos, Hispanic Suizas, the Round Door Rolls, uh, a lot of Portuk's design work. Let's take Raymond Lowy, okay? He's one of my, he is my all-time favorite industrial designer. Okay. Raymond actually coined the term industrial designer. The term didn't exist, and he made it up and called himself one, so I'm following on in that tradition. I have no proper training or degrees whatsoever, <laughs> but apparently you don't need one to call yourself an industrial designer. So here I am. <laughs> Boom. So it, um, when, when Lowy did cars for himself and you can Google these cars, okay. they were a shit show. They were shit on shit on shit, like finials and floor de lis and uh. just too many things happening at once. Now, his design work is almost unparalleled in its range from Lucky Strikes to Air Force One to Studebakers to on and on and on and on and on. Um, Frigidaire, you, like Coca-Cola logo. I mean, it's endless. When he had constraints put on him by a client, he rocked. And I find that to be the case. We need to be framed in. Um, I, I've designed... Um, I'm a big vintage watch guy, and uh, I designed my first watch um, a couple years ago called the Doozy, which is based on the speedometer and tachometer of the early uh, SJ Duesenbergs. Oh. And I really enjoyed delving into wristwatch design because by its nature, it establishes constraints. What does it do? It tells the damn time. Well, therefore, when you look at it, you better be able to tell what time it is, and you better be able to tell what time it is damn quick. Also, you have the math, the 12 hours, the quarter hour, the half hour, all these factors, right? So constraints are good for design. They, they, they help set boundaries. Um, at least at my skill level, I need that. So... <laughs> I started thinking through the Helios and all these various inspirations. So then I sat down and wrote basically what ended up being like sort of a script line slash revisionist history to create the mandates and constraints that would frame the ideation of the Helios. And they are in no particular order. What if Raymond Lowy and Buckminster Fuller and Gordon Durig had gotten drunk with Howard Hughes <laughs> right after Howard did the H1 experimental plane, but before he went completely batshit, and I pictured this at the Beverly Hills Hotel in his cabana, 
what if they got really fucking drunk and they napkin sketched an idea because Howard had already been out with pretty much every starlet at that time. But what if there's that one he couldn't get to go out with? What would he picture taking her to the premiere of her movie in? What would that car look like? And then compound <laughs> that by what if transportation design had taken inspiration from aerospace, arguably about two decades earlier than it actually did? What if electric cars had maintained their predominance that they had at the turn of the century? They were pretty much derailed by the development of the magneto starter, which made internal combustion engines much easier to use, but that's a story for another podcast. But so what if electric cars had remained being the thing? What if we had looked to aerospace design earlier than we did? And what if those geniuses had gotten together with that wackadoodle? What would that napkin sketch look like? And that was the Helios. So basically, you're telling me that you designed the Helios to be a 1930s pickup line for a starlet. I'm, I'm yeah, in. I'm in. <laughs> I, yeah, and I, uh, I was super excited because that was one of the projects in the last two weeks that someone um, got with me on Zoom and started digging really deep into. Fortunately, or unfo- and unfortunately, it actually went in a different direction that I'm still super excited about. Um, we're going to take a 30s Rolls-Royce sedan, something like you'd see in the Queen, that the Queen would be driving, and rebody it from the A-pillar back into a suicide door, teardrop two-door. Oh, my God. Um, there were a couple of them done back during the period, and they all kind of, in my opinion, kind of missed the mark. But um, he's not pursuing the Helios. We turned right at Rolls-Royce and partied on. But um, (laughs) yeah, one of these days I'm going to build the Helios. And those things start with ideas that keep me up at night, just like the entire brand did. And just like my watch did. And just like the first derelict did, which then later became, I went, Oh, duh, this still makes sense within the confines of the icon brand. So we should do a line of derelicts. Like why not? Maybe other people will dig them. So that's really where everything starts is what keeps me up at night in bed. What am I kind of building a CAD model of in my head, which is sort of my personal version of sheep jumping the fence. Um, and then at some point I'll either just build it to maintain my sanity or if it's not that easy and I can't afford it, I'll put it up in the concept section and hope to find another crazy bastard who's better funded than I am. <laughs> Oh, well, there you go. You know, we've got so much more to cover. Uh, Jonathan, could we possibly invite you back here in the future and have you on again to talk about? Because uh, Brett's like, he's showing me signs on his camera going, oh, my God, this and this and this. And there's so much more to talk about. May we invite you back in the future? Of course. It's been a fun conversation with you and your silent co-host. I'm a little disappointed <laughs> in him. He really hasn't had any, anything clever to quip. But yeah, if you're uh, if you're listening, like uh, enjoy the episode and find it engaging. I'm more than happy to come back and geek out about the stuff I love. Oh, that's awesome! Check out Icon's amazing vehicles, ideas, and much more at icon4x4.com. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us here on Road Muscle Radio. Of course, it was my pleasure. And then it's quite temporary message, but actually, I'd argue it's not. Everyone, stay safe, stay kind, stay considerate, stay creative. There's a lot of opportunities 
chaos is a ladder. I think there's a lot of opportunities and I've explored them and I've seen several friends of mine explore them to re-engage with the things you thought you no longer had time in your life for, be that with your family or in a creative sense. It's more fulfilling, it enriches the soul, and it'll make uh, everyone's world better. Yes, yes, oh. absolutely. Agreed. Okay, Brett, I know that, you know, it's technological stuff of things that was you know, happening. We're, st- we're still figuring some of this stuff out. And the upside is, is I got to hear the whole interview. The downside is I didn't get to say anything. I know. And you and, know so much more than me. And I was, I was like, oh, God, don't say anything too stupid, Mark. Don't say anything too stupid. But uh, well, I think, I think I we made it through. right fast enough to get the questions out. <laughs> oh, that's right. We so, were trying to do the smoke signals and the things right through the camera because I could even see you. And it was like, oh, yeah. hell. But uh, what a great guy. What a nice guy. And just a fountain of information and cool stories. Oh, He's he he's our kind of nerdy. He yeah. just knows every stinking thing under the sun, and that's why I was so excited for the interview. And I didn't get to get a word in. Period. And uh, <laughs> about halfway crap. through, all of a sudden, there's no Brett, and crap. it's like, wait, I can hear him. And, you can and, hear him. Aw. And, and having him say that every now and then, he there's one of the writers who writes something like he doesn't give a damn, and I'm thinking, oh, well, that's me. Hi. That's me. You're hi. Right. <laughs> We'll have to have him back on. Many thanks to him for uh, sharing his time with us. And many thanks to you for sharing time with us as we yak about grace, gears, and cool car stuff. There's nothing like taking a fun ride, especially when you got a good buddy to share it with. Be sure to visit us on Facebook at Road Muscle Radio at RoadMuscleRadio.com and on Twitter. I'm Catfish Groves. And I'm Brett Hatfield, otherwise silent. <laughs> I'm Silent Brett. And we'll catch you down <laughs> the road on Road Muscle Radio. Road Muscle Radio.